0: You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org.
1: My name is Lois. I have the privilege of speaking to you this morning. So what can we take away from this passage? There's quite a lot to digest from it. An angel has come to earth. They've told this young virgin that she's going to have a baby. But not only that, but the baby is actually going to be the son of God. And he's here to save sinners then her and Joseph travel to Bethlehem and they have this baby. It's a pretty mind-blowing sequence of events, but I would argue that the most striking part of this passage comes in Mary's response. So I'm going to break that down for us this morning and look a bit closely at it. I would say it is one-off, if not the best declarations of faith in the Bible. An angel tells her that she's going to have a baby, but she's never slept with anyone. I um, got an E in my Biology A-level, but even I know that that is scientifically impossible. (laughs) And so does Mary. She asks, how is this possible? I'm a virgin. And the angel explains to her that she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High is going to come upon her. However, I think that raises a few more questions than it actually answers. But Mary so trusts God that she asks no more questions. She doesn't need to know the details of how it's going to happen. She only needs to have confidence that God has declared that it will. She knows that his word never fails, that he is good and nothing is impossible with him. It is a response of faith. She trusts what God says and that is enough. It can be such a challenge for us. I know I like to know the details of everything. and Actually, when God speaks is my first response, I trust you or I just want to know a little bit more. Mary knows that God is a loving, faithful God. She knows he'll support her and he'll be with her. And that is the same God that we serve. We can trust him with our lives and with our future without needing to know exactly what is going to happen. The Bible is full of examples of faithful followers. Another one that stands out is Abraham. He was an old man that God asked to leave his home, move somewhere else, and he told him he's going to be the father of many nations. You can read about it more in Genesis 12. But for Abraham, a sonless man at 75, for him to move to another country, it must have seemed crazy. But with faith, Abraham obeyed, and we see that God's promises were made true. Both for Mary and Abraham, they had faith in God because they knew his promises were true. They teach us the best way to respond to God's call for our life, with faith. So she's responded with faith, but her response is also one of humility, In verse 38, she says, I am your humble servant. I am in awe of her response here. Here she is being given this massive task, this Messiah that has been prophesied about for generation to generation, the one that's come to seek and save the lost, the Son of God, and God has chosen her. And yet her humble response is, I am the Lord's servant. She immediately puts herself at the feet of God. What an example of humility. David Wilkinson, who was an American pastor working in the tough areas of New York, said, a humble person is not one who thinks little of himself, hangs his head and says, I am nothing. Rather, he is one who depends wholly on the Lord for everything in every circumstance. That is what Mary is doing. She is choosing to respond wholeheartedly and depend on God for everything rather than her own strength. She takes the spotlight off of her and puts it straight onto God because actually people that radiate God's light from within, they don't need the spotlight. Anyone um, who knows me knows this is quite a big challenge for me. I quite enjoy the spotlight. But actually this year as I've been reading his word, more and more I just felt like every, everything that I was reading, it just kept saying like actually a quiet, humble life that glorifies God is one that pleases him. It raises the question that when we serve, do we do it to glorify ourselves or to glorify God? Because actually, the reason we serve is not so that people look at us and think that we're great, but that they look at us and see that he is great. Our focus should be on God and recognizing his greatness and who he is. So she's responded faithfully, she's responded humbly, and we see in the second part of that verse that she responds willingly. She says, may it be to me as you have said. That is radical obedience. She was incredibly courageous and completely willing to serve God. This was not what she was expecting out of life. She was a young girl. She was about to marry Joseph, and they were going to start a family together, probably live a simple life. And yet instead, she was this unmarried woman bearing a child that wasn't her husband's. She was going to face shame, humiliation, Rejection from her family, her community, potentially even stoned to death for adultery. She knew all of this, and yet her response is not an outcry of injustice, but humbled and honoured obedience. She's willing to sacrifice it all to obey God so that his word can become a reality. David Platt, a pastor and author, writes, Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, nor wealth, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all of these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. Do we have the same heart? Or are we too busy, preoccupied with our own plans and what we had wanted for our lives? When um, I was applying for university, I looked around about five different universities, see see which one I liked. and um, The one that I chose was Oxford, (coughs) Brooks. Um, And I got my results, and I accepted my place there. I started um, filling out the forms for the accommodation, and I felt like God really clearly spoke to me and said that he wanted me to go to the University of Winchester, um, which was one that I'd looked at before but um, hadn't decided to go to. Um, And it may not sound like a big ask, but for me, I'm a London girl. I love London. I love the buzz of a city. And if you've ever been to Winchester, if you're from there, you know that it's um, very different. Um, And not really my cup of tea at all, but I heard God speak and I went. And although the first year was really hard, I got stuck in a local church and um, I joined their worship team and I um, served there as the student worker for two years. And God blessed me so much with the people that he gave me. He gave me some amazing friends that led me into a much deeper, richer relationship with him. We can trust God with our plans for our lives and our future because we are trusting in a loving, faithful father. Mary is an incredible example of someone who trusted God wholeheartedly. She was prepared to serve God's purpose for her life for her own. She responds with faithfulness, humility, and willingness. How are you going to respond? God is calling you. For those of you that don't know him yet, God is calling you into a relationship with him. For some of you, you're already on that journey, but maybe it's the next step. Maybe he's calling you to boldly step out in evangelism. Maybe he's calling you to love that person that's difficult to love. Maybe he's calling you to speak out against injustice. Maybe he is calling you to forgive that person that has really hurt you. God is calling you. How are you going to respond?
0: Good morning, everyone. Do you know what the newspaper said on the 1st of January this year? Well, um, I, I was inspired by a preach I saw the other day when um, doing some research for this talk, and so I checked them out online. Now, believe it or not, the Times had the headline, Britain Sees in New Year on a Wave of Optimism. And the Express said, our decade of hope and glory. Well... You may not have believed it then, but I bet that most of us are not feeling quite so optimistic right now. Life doesn't often go as we expect, does it? Especially this year, in which COVID has turned so many of our plans upside down. I've caught myself several times thinking, do you know what? 2020, you can do one. Roll on 2021 not least because my Christmas plans that I had been so looking forward to this year have unraveled as the risk of infection rises and we find that tears don't stop at three. I even heard on the radio the other day, someone referring to the time after we have a vaccine and things turn to some kind of normality as life AC. That's right, life after covid So I think it's more than fair to say that this year has had a lasting impact on many of us. And for some of us, there'll be some deep scars, if not worse. So given all of that, what would bring you hope this Christmas? Time with your family if you still can? A great Christmas present, a PlayStation 5 maybe? A new holiday? (laughs) a new job, finishing those exams, or just some kind of normality. For many, maybe for some of us here, Christmas is one in which hope seems in short order. With all the sacrifices we've made, is Christmas too little, too late? But, but, it's into this difficulty into this hopelessness, into this mess that Christmas comes. Which is exactly as God planned it all those years ago on that first Christmas. And it's as true today as it was then. Jesus was born into a broken, messy world. He was born quite literally into a messy stable. Not in a palace, but in the poor part of town, where the animals were kept, where there was filth, where there was muck, where there was poo, where there was dirty stuff. This is where God sent Jesus. To be born a helpless baby, the most vulnerable, the most humble act in the history of the world. To save, to pay the price of our sins so that we can live. He is the most hopeful of messages. You see, we give gifts at Christmas, but Christmas itself is the best gift. It's what the angel told those shepherds that night. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. The angel said, That a saviour has been born to you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in life, what your story is, this gift is for you. And the Bible tells us this repeatedly in Jesus' life, his death, and in the early church, but also here with these very different people, with these shepherds and the wise men. They're such different people. They're on such different journeys, but God uses them both and brings them into the center of the birth of Jesus. The shepherds are considered the lowest of the low. Dirty, smelly, usually poor, uneducated individuals. They were infamous for being unruly, irreligious, uncouth, immoral, always at the back, not allowed in the city wall, yet alone the temple. But the paradox is God sent angels to speak to them directly. To personally invite them. In fact, no. Not just to invite them, but to invite them first. They had front row seats. And they responded there and then. They left their sheep. They went to see baby Jesus on that very first night. So if you don't feel accepted, if you don't quite cut up to that picture-perfect, clean Christian image, come on in. Welcome. You are invited to the birth of the most central figure in the history of the world. And you are invited before anyone else. You are known. You are loved. Then you have the wise men, who are foreigners that come from the East. They are called magi, astrologers of their time. And they were a complete contrast, really, to the shepherds. They were very wealthy, well-schooled, with lots of theories and answers. They saw a star, and they set off on a much longer journey. Probably at least a year, maybe more. And when they met uh, the new king, it wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't where they were expecting. But nonetheless, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11... They were overjoyed. They bowed down and they worshipped him. And it's after all of this, after this long journey of discovery, that God then speaks to them in a dream and tells them to go back a different way from where they came. You see, God uses both the shepherds and the wise men. He speaks to them and he makes them central to his plan. So, My message is, whether you're a VIP or a regular citizen, whether you're poor or rich, academic or manual worker, whether you're on a long journey and have lots of theories and many answers already, or whether you have just begun, whether God has spoken to you or whether you are searching for his voice, you are invited into the heart of this story, into the heart of Christmas. So this year, when lots of our comforts and securities have been stripped away, where we may be struggling with stuff that we haven't struggled with before. Maybe lockdown has exposed some previously hidden truths they have for me. Where will we look? Where will you look for, uh, for hope? It may not feel all that Christmassy right now, but Christmas does remind us of our real hope and joy, the gift of Jesus. Invite him into your life. He sees our mess. He sees into the darkest corners of our heart. And he comes to us. He enters our broken world. He takes our sin and offers us forgiveness. He gives us redemption. He is our hope. His, it's his love, unachievable, unearnable love, that's freely given, the first ever and best Christmas present, That's not about who you are or what you are. If you've been naughty or nice, you are personally invited into his Christmas party and no lockdown can prevent that. If this resonates with you, maybe you've not invited Jesus into your life before and would like to know more about what we're talking about here today. We would love to hear from you. We would love to pray with you. Due to covid the best way you can do that is to email us at prayer at redeemerlondon.org. Thank you.